Good morning, church. Man, I am so glad you guys are here today. What an exciting time to be together as the family of God to lift up our voices in unison, to praise Jesus Christ, our Lord, who does so very much for us. Amen. We have an incredible life in Christ Jesus, and uh, we lean into that life because we know ultimately He is the hope of our salvation. He is the one who will provide the peace that we are always looking for. He's the one that provides unconditional love, no matter the baggage we have in our past. We lean forward into Jesus Christ because ultimately he is our salvation. He is Savior Supreme. You know, we are here together as God's people in this place, but whether you're here or online, joining us online, I want you to know God loves you. He sent his son to declare that to you. And we can have an incredible life in Christ Jesus, which is what Paul reveals to us in chapter 2 of Colossians. Now, I hope you've got your Bibles with you this morning. Turn with me there. It'll be a great opportunity to dig into the Word of God together and discover how we're called to live this transformational life in Christ Jesus, what Paul declares to us. Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at just a handful of verses this morning, but what a great opportunity to look at chapter 2 because ultimately it's the hinge pin for all of the letter to the Colossian church. Everything that Paul wants us to know, it really is right there in chapter 2. It's the focal point of the letter. You and I have a lot of different voices going on in our life. We talked about this last week as we launched this series, uh, Savior Supreme. We're in week number two. Uh, And I want to continue to ask you to read through the letter to the Colossian church every week this month. Uh, It's only four chapters. You could read a chapter a day, maybe take the weekend off, and then restart it again the first of the week. But if you're anything like me, I've been at this a long time, and I read the Word of God, and I discover something that I hadn't seen before. Uh, I get a different feeling about a different word or a paragraph or an idea there. And I think, man, has that always been there? Of course it has been. I've just read over it every single time. Uh, And so getting into the Word of God is so instrumental in our transformation and our formation to be more like Christ each and every day. Unfortunately, we've got a lot of voices in our life that try to pull us away from focusing on Christ Jesus, our Savior Supreme. And we talked about a lot of those different things that try to distract us. There are things in this world that are promising salvation and hope. But church, I want to tell you this morning that Jesus Christ is our only hope. He is is it. There is nothing more in this life that we need to long for, want for, and he'll bless us in this life and in the life to come. A lot of voices trying to distract us, but Paul is going to remind us today to stay focused on who Jesus is, and your life will be blessed beyond measure. There are some YouTube videos out there. Maybe you've seen them in, even in commercials. Maybe you've experienced this in your own life. Uh, and it's not, uh, not something that's dramatically acted out, but the camera just happened to be rolling when dad saved the day. I know you've seen some of these videos. Maybe they were uh, at a uh, ball practice, baseball practice, and uh, there was an errant throw or maybe a foul ball hit. And dad sees the ball coming to hit his young child and he kind of steps in front of the ball and he takes one for the team. Or maybe that kid is at the park and they're on the, the swing and he gets a little bit high and does a backflip out of the swing. The little, little kid and dad reaches over and grabs the kid before he hits the ground. You've had those moments like that, I'm sure, in your life uh, as, as well. And Paul is going to have that 
kind of presence in chapter 2. This whole book of uh, Colossians, Paul has this fatherly figure presence. And he wants the church to know, hey, there are some things that I've experienced that I want you to know about. Some things that I want you to be aware of in your Christian journey and your walk. Now, if you remember last week, uh, Paul unpacked in chapter 1 everything that Jesus was. He did an incredible, beautiful description of our Savior Supreme. He said, look, Jesus is God. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is the penultimate. He's at the top of the pyramid. He's everything that you ever could want in life. He's a reconciler. He's conquered everything. And because of that, we can also overcome the world in front of us. That Jesus is everything to us. There is nothing that is better than Jesus Christ. And Paul wants us to know that as he walks through this letter with us, reminding us to stand firm in our faith and to focus on Jesus Christ. Every single one of us have voices that are talking in our ear, trying to pull us away from the walk that we're a part of. And Paul wants us to also recognize that we're part of a community, that we don't journey together, that we are in this thing together with the Holy Spirit living in each one of us. I just finished reading a a book by David Tripp called Lead, and it's really geared toward leaders in church life, but it certainly could be for any disciple who is following Christ. But in it, he talks about the idea that this gospel community that we're a part of kind of holds us all accountable. And so I look at your life and pour into you, and you look at my life and pour into me, and together, through the work of the Holy Spirit, we keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ, who ultimately is our salvation and our hope. We do this thing together. And so Paul is going to offer this fatherly advice beginning in verse 4 of chapter 2 in Colossians, where Paul says, I am telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ." Paul recognizes that uh, the world is full of its own philosophy, its own ideas, its own rational thinking. And there are things out there that will try to present themselves to us and kind of say, you know what, what you're doing following Christ seems illogical. You need to do this over here. Listen to this philosophy, this idea. And church, if I'm honest, when we look at what God's done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, it is illogical. But that's where faith comes in. Paul recognizes that there are some things going on in the church that need to be addressed that are trying to pull their attention away. Last week, we addressed the two different sides of the coin in the church in in Colossae. One, there is a kind of a a spiritual side of, of some folks who are leaning into this idea of this mysterious knowledge. We call them the Gnostics. Gnosticism is the word, Greek word for knowledge. And they basically were saying, look, Jesus is what you need, but there's something more as well to add to that. If you can gain this secret knowledge about who God is, man, you'll be even closer to God than, with, than just with Jesus. 
equally within the same congregation, there is kind of this legalistic group who are really all about kind of works-based salvation. You absolutely need Jesus for salvation, but you also have to wear the right things, do the right things, say the right things, go to the right places, uh, kind of live this ascetic lifestyle where you're really disciplining your body in a certain way. And when you do all of that, you'll be even closer to God. And what Paul wants us to know in this letter is that there is nothing more than Jesus Christ that you need for salvation. Jesus Christ is the only thing that we need for salvation. We need to lean into that teaching. The uniqueness of Christ in our life is so very important to understand. And Paul's going to remind us as a community today some things that we need to do to make sure that we stay focused on Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at verse 6. Paul says, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Now, the English translation there uses the word accepted. And for us in the English language, the word accepted is really a passive word. And so after church today, you might invite me to go to lunch with you. And I might accept that invitation. It's a passive thing. I didn't do or work toward getting that. It was just something given to me. Maybe you get an invitation to a birthday party. And so you accept that invitation. Maybe uh, someone will give you a Christmas gift and you accept the Christmas gift. There's no really active part of that. But in the original language that Paul writes in, that word accepted is active. Paul literally is saying in the original language, just as you went and got Jesus Christ, I want you to go get the life that he has for you. So it's this active element in your faith movement in in how you're living life out. You're actively pursuing, I think Jesus is who I need. I want to be a part of Jesus. And so you went out and took him and now go take the life that he wants to give you. So you have a transformed life in Christ Jesus. Take a look at verse seven. He says, let your lives be built on him. The NIV version of the Bible says, continue to live your lives in him. So Paul calls us into a real relationship with Jesus, an actual authentic relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's not just something that happens overnight. Now, you may have met your best friend at camp or the mall or school or wherever it might have been, and maybe you hit it off right away. You just kind of clicked and everything kind of fell into place. But the truth is you didn't have a real relationship with that person until you had some water under the bridge, until you experienced life together, where you cried together and you rejoiced together, where you were excited together, and and you just kind of lived life, and you've got some experiences there one with another. That's when real relationship actually happens. When we first were married and we had our two uh, kiddos, they were little babies, Uh, Robin made a decision to stay home with the kids until they went to school and then started her teaching career. I was working as an assistant manager at Walmart, very small salary, and so we didn't have a lot of money starting out. We had to figure out and and negotiate how we were going to go out on, on the dating scene, so to speak. 
Uh, and so there was another couple at our, our church at the time who we're still very good friends with, and their kids were about our kids' age. And so we decided to swap babysitting. So every other weekend, we would keep each other's kids so the other couple could go out and it saved a little bit of money. Anybody ever done that, swap some babysitting? Yes, thank you. First service, no one raised their hand. I felt really awkward. It was strange. So we swapped babysitting, and uh, I remember some of the most fun opportunities, you're going to laugh at this, some of the most fun opportunities where we built relationship and vision building and things, we would drop the boys off, and then we would go to Walmart and go shopping. We'd get the cart and slowly after dinner, we would walk through the store and we would get the groceries we needed, the household necessities we needed. But in that time we interacted, we talked about where we want to go, who we want to be, how is our parenting going? What do you think about how Garrett's acting? I mean, all those kind of things that kind of came up along in conversation. Now this year, this summer, we're going to celebrate 30 years of marriage together. And uh, Robin has put up with me for a very long time. Thank you. And I know that's for her because she's put up with it. But, you know, our deep relationship didn't happen overnight. It's something that's happened over a 30-year period. We've cried together. We've laughed together. We've experienced life together, had kids, raised them. I mean, the list goes on. Lots of moving. There's no hectic schedule. We just, we just loved connecting along the way. And Paul, in his original language, offers that to us. He says, I want you to have a real relationship with Jesus. Experience life with Jesus. Let him into your life to change how you perceive what's going on around you. Don't pay attention to the noise going on in the world around you, but focus on Jesus. He goes on in that same verse. He says, let your roots grow down into him. And Paul wants us to think about agriculture about planting and harvesting and, and the process that's involved there. We've got a, a good uh, couple that uh, we're good friends with, rather. They live in north-central Oklahoma. Uh, Amy uh, was in our youth group in Stillwater. But they are farmers, and so they have a wheat farm, and then they also raise cattle. Uh, but they would tell you that farming is a process. I mean, we learned in elementary school, you don't plant a seed and the next day you go pick the fruit. It just doesn't work like that. It takes some effort. It takes some time. And so they, they have to cultivate the field. They have to, to plant the seed. They have to maintain the equipment. They have to pray and hope for great sunshine and rain along the way. And finally, in the fall, they'll harvest that grain. It's a process. And so Paul wants to remind us to grow our roots down into Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen overnight. It's constantly, every day, being in the Word of God, being with His people in community, journeying together, building a prayer life, discovering along the way how we're growing and what's going on in our life. Look back at that one phrase in verse 7. Let your lives be built on Him. Paul wants us to think about construction. Has anyone in here ever built, built a house or added on to their house? And I know we do have some people who are in construction here as well, a few of us. And anyone will tell you that's experienced it, it is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. I remember we lived in Stillwater. We were having so many teens over to the house. We decided to enlarge our living room. And so I, I said, let's, let's add on about 600 square feet to, to our living room. There's a guy at church that... Uh, worked in construction and he partnered with me and said, let's do this together. I said, that's great. But about 25% into the project, he had to move his family to Arkansas and it was all me. 
I promise you the house is not like this. It, it worked out. But what I discovered along the way is, man, there are, there are footings to pour, there are walls to erect, there are trusses to put on, there's a roof to attach, there are windows to put in. I mean, it's, it's forever. It's weeks and months of planning and organizing and building. It's a process. And Paul wants to remind us that your commitment to Jesus Christ is not an overnight thing. It, you're in it for the long haul. You want to be a part of what he's going to do in your life. And so Paul, in his actual letter in verse 7, he said, no matter if you're thinking about relationship, agriculture, construction, he wants us as kingdom people to embrace the process. It's more than just an overnight thing, a one and done. But the thing is, is that we are postmodern Americans, right? And we like instantaneous. I don't know about you, but I like my microwave popcorn. I mean, that comes out right away. You get to sit on the couch and probably do, you know, eat what I shouldn't be eating. But anyway, there it is. We, we love having our phones in our back pocket. It's a small computer. We can do anything we want almost with that small device. It's instantaneous connection to the world around us. We love streaming at home on whatever program that you've got on your television. I continue to be amazed at how quickly Amazon delivers. I mean, you're at the computer, you place an order, you hit pay, and the doorbell rings. It's incredible. It's like right away. I don't know how they know those things, but it's already there. But you see, Jesus wants to take us on this relationship journey, recognizing that in our life, there are going to be seasons of growth. There are going to be seasons of pruning. There's going to be regrowth, and there's going to be fruit there's going to be pruning again and yet more growth. See, living for Jesus and celebrating his life in our life is never just a one-time moment. And Paul recognizes that in our life, we're going to have cultural currents that try to pull our focus away from who Jesus is and what he can do for us in our life. There are really two types of currents that exist. Anybody ever been swimming in the ocean? Hands, you at home too, hands up, yes. Yeah, I mean, ocean's a great place to take a vacation. You're on the beach, you get your, your umbrella set up, you've got your chairs out, the, the uh, towels are down, you've got your igloo cooler full of all the goodies that you brought uh, to, to share with your family. And so then you, you, hit the, you hit the water and you're out for a little ways. You got everything set up where you want it, and so you're out, you're just playing and talking with, uh, with your kiddos, maybe your spouse, friends that you brought along. You've got your goggles, you're checking out to see what's going on under the water. Uh, for me, I don't like to look under the water, that's a little scary, so I just trust that God's got my back on that one. But you know, you're out there 30 minutes, 45 minutes, maybe an hour, and some, suddenly there's a rumble in the stomach and you recognize it's time for a snack. And so you quit talking and you look up and you think, somebody stole my chair. My umbrella is gone too. And you recognize, oh wait, it's down here. And what's happened gradually and you were unaware was that the current has taken you away from your last location. That's current number one. The second current is called a riptide. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. It's very strong, can be deadly. A lot of times you might swim out a little ways from the shore and then try to race back. But if that riptide is going on, it's almost like you're not going anywhere. It's like one of those cartoons. You're just kind of right there. You're moving, but there's no, no forward movement. And it can be very anxiety-provoking. You're wondering, am I going to get back to shore or not? 
Rob and I had one of those experiences, not personally, but in, uh, when, on our 20th anniversary, we went to Cabo, Mexico. Got there a little bit early, and uh, they said, hey, once you go wait on the beach, we'll let you know when your room is ready. Okay, great. So we went out. We noticed that there were some chairs set up. Looked like maybe a destination wedding was going on. Clearly, an American family was grouped together, and they were sitting in the sand looking at an employee who was out with his goggles on a surfboard. I began to inquire, and we wanted to pray with some folks if we needed to. And what happened was the father of the bride and his son, 16-year-old son, had gone out and were racing back to the beach. And the son got to shore. He got up on the beach, and he looked back. There's no dad. And so the guy on the surfboard was out looking for dad's body. It was tragic. And Paul wants us to know in our life that there are cultural currents that can pull us away from where Jesus wants us to be. He says, this is a real thing. Sometimes it's gradual. Sometimes it's in your face. And if we're not diligent about making sure that we are grounded in Jesus Christ, that our roots aren't deep down into Jesus Christ, that our foundation isn't built on Jesus Christ, we can get pulled away by the noise that's around us in life. And this is exactly what happened to the church in Colossae. You see, Colossae had settled for a transactional moment with Jesus, and Paul wants us to have a transformational life with Jesus. And don't get me wrong, each and every one of us have a transactional moment with Jesus. That moment when we say, hey, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior. I want to surrender my life to you. I want to be baptized into your name. Come up out of that water, brand new creation, having given you all of my sin and poor choices. That's the transaction. We give Jesus our poor choices. He gives us grace and mercy. But our life with him doesn't stop there. Paul reminds us that we're called to have a transformational life as well. That because we are in gratitude for what Jesus has done for us, it changes the way that I treat other people, the way I talk, the way I live, the things I'm a part of in life. Jesus changes me to look more and more like him every day. See, Colossae, the church there, had, had given up Jesus just as an accessory and Paul calls us to make Jesus a priority in our life. He says it's got to be more than that. Jesus can't just be part of your life. Jesus must be your life. He's got to be the foundation of everything. And you and I started our journey with Jesus, with him being in the center, but there probably have been moments, if we are all confessional, where we have looked past Jesus and focused on something else, some other noise on the periphery of culture that promised us salvation, that promised us hope along the way. So maybe our focus became making a living, building wealth, climbing up that corporate ladder. Maybe the thing that became our focus was just our kids. Maybe it was our marriage or a relationship that we were interested in having. Maybe it was a, a vaccine on the horizon. Maybe it was us pouring ourselves into the fear and anxiety that we felt in the moment. Maybe we thought it might be the government and a new president that would change things for us. And so somewhere along the way, we simply moved the cross over and reached for what we thought was going to be our hope. But Paul reminds us, church, that Jesus Christ is our only hope. He is the one that will change our life forever. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll let the government drive our life. 
If we're not careful, we'll, we'll let our kids drive our life. If we're not careful, we'll let our career and building wealth drive our life. We'll let our sexuality drive our life. Our identity and things around us drive our life. We'll let social media drive our life. And Paul reminds us, look, church, there is nothing more important than Jesus Christ. It is in him that we're going to find life and life into the full. Martin Luther, who... uh, most scholars would say was the father of the Reformation movement. He lived about 1500 AD. He was a priest in the Catholic Church in a town called Wittenberg, Germany. And he thought, there's something more. There's something different than what am I experiencing? And so he created this list of a a thing we call the 95 Theses, where he said, these things are really important to Christian life. He nailed them to the church door at the church where he was ministering. But he starts out that entire list by saying this phrase, Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. So Martin Luther vocalizes for us the need that we every day, all the time, hit the pause button to see where Jesus Christ is in our life. Have we allowed the cultural current to pull us away to a different location, to, to some different place. And so today, if we, if we ask you to hit the pause button in your life, where would Jesus be in regards to your bank account? Where, where would Jesus be in regards to how you're raising your kids? Where would Jesus be in your marriage? Where would Jesus be in your career cycle? Where would Jesus be in your Netflix binge-watching list? Where would Jesus be on your social media accounts? Where would Jesus be in your saying no to self and serving other people around you? One thing I realize in my own life, as I wrestle with the cultural currents that are around me, what I recognize is, church, I love Jesus Christ. And I love his word that reminds me of the person I'm called to be in Christ Jesus. And I recognize, although I'm not always good at it, that there's nothing this world can offer me that will ever take the place of Jesus Christ, our Savior Supreme. He is an incredible Savior. And Paul says here in these few verses we've looked at in chapter 2, grow your roots deep into Jesus. Build your foundation on the Savior Supreme. Let him be the cornerstone of what you're doing in your life. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't ever take your eyes off of him. He is the author and perfecter of life. It's in him that we'll find life and life in the abundant. Church, we serve an incredible Savior who wants so much for us. It's our call, though, to say no to the noises that are coming from culture and just focus on Jesus. It's in him that we'll have life. And as we sing this next song together as the family of God, the call is this morning is that you will reevaluate where you are in relationship to Jesus Christ, our ultimate Savior. And realign your life so that you have one that is truly transformed and not transactional. That you'll lean into him and know that he can change everything for the better about who you are and where you're headed. As we sing this next song, our shepherds are going to be gathered along this wall over here. And I want to encourage you to seek one of them out 
and let that couple pray for you and over you about what might be going on in your life. Maybe it's a celebration prayer on top of that. Maybe somebody here this morning has never given their life to Jesus Christ. Today we can change that. You can be baptized into Christ, raised out of that water, a brand new creation, ready to be transformed by the Holy Spirit and his indwelling. Today could be that day for you. Don't wait. Let's stand as the family of God and lift our voices in unison to an almighty Savior.